Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about building clients for life, having clients for life. What are we going to talk about? Clients for life. Hmm. Big question mark. Yes, big question, big mark. question mark. Should we have clients for life? Can you even have clients for life? Well, yeah, that's maybe the, the even better question. Yeah. So, th- so this came out of Ditcherville, a thread in Ditcherville, where uh, basically, I'll just summarize, this is not specifically what the person asked, but uh, the, the overall question was around advisory retainers and and how how long can what can you do to make them last this is not exactly what the question was but but when you have an advisory retainer and you are getting paid monthly for access to your expertise in you know it's it's great money it's not a lot of work it's high it's it's a classic situation where the value is very high to the client and the cost is very low to you because you've built up all the expertise over the years so you've got this huge delta between the cost and the value. So you can set a price that's pretty sweet in, that's in between those two numbers. And it's a reasonable amount of money to the client because they're getting so much value out of the engagement. And in, in my experience, it has the reason the value is so high is because the client wants, they've got some high priority, very risky, bet the business kind of project that they have decided to undertake and they want to have an insurance policy. And so they, they get somebody who's really, really familiar with or expert at the kind of transition they're attempting to make so that they maximize the odds of it going well. And for me, these have usually been at least a year long, sometimes two years, occasionally beyond. And what I've observed in every case is that the the, the big scary project, the original thing that caused them to look for someone like you in the first place goes away after about a year, year and a half. Like they, it succeeds or it finishes or it, you know, or it fails, I suppose, but you know, usually it succeeds. And, but at that point they've got a real, you are like tight, like you've got a tight relationship with them and they like having you around, but the value of having you around has gone down perhaps kind of close to what they're paying you because the really scary risky thing is over and they're like and they still want to have you around uh because they're like it's another smart person in the room but all of a sudden they don't have this particular thing going on and they you can tell that things have taken a turn when they start to assign things to you like an employee because what they're doing is they're trying to justify to themselves the price. So it's like, well, the, the price is X, 10000 a month. And, and uh, geez, you know, we launched that, that software system and it's going great. And uh, the team's got it under control. So what can we have Stark do? You know, and then it's like, okay, we need to have a conversation. Um, so I, in my, for those kinds of advisory retainers, I think they do have a natural lifespan where they're not going to go on forever. And like I said, it seems like the natural lifespan is somewhere between 12 to 18 months. And if and with me, when they've gone longer than that, we've renegotiated and, and renegotiated the, essentially created a new engagement where it, in a very few rare cases, I've stayed on at like reduced involvement, reduced rate. Uh, but that's pretty rare. Usually we just part ways. You know, as you were saying all that, and I agree with all of that, I've experienced it, I've seen it with clients, um, I've seen it with organizations. Um, there is maybe a side case 
um, where, and I think it's only certain kinds of things where you can have a much longer retainer, but I'm going to argue there's still a natural lifespan to it. And that's, I'm thinking about things like communications, uh, PR, um, something where there's a, we're not talking about a crisis. Crisis communications is totally different. That by definition is, you know, short term. But where there's a long-term strategy with positioning and messaging and you want somebody from the outside. But even then, I've seen those go for a few years, but they're not for life, mm-hmm. right? They, they just, they, they die a natural death. Right. Um, there's a, another thing that came up in this conversation was the specific definition of a retainer and and to me i i try to be really specific and talk about advisory retainers and to me those are going to have that sort of lifespan but if if you're if you are calling it a retainer and you're doing you're doing some sort of execution like uh, yeah that's not advisory it's not advisory so like let's what's an example like pr like yeah, PR. I'm going to I'm going to get your name in, you know, this number of publications or I'm going to talk to this number of journalists on your behalf. We're going to do press releases. I mean, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like and, and in theory, unless there is like a big business strategy change or shake up or something, in theory, they're always going to want that. Right. Like it doesn't it, it's it's kind of uh, perishable in a sense where if you want to be news, it's got to be new. So you, and if you don't want to do it yourself, you need to have someone out there doing it for you. So like in my world, I, I know people hire like bloggers to flesh out their blog content for SEO reasons. And and that is just sort of a never ending shoveling sand against the tide kind of job. Um, the, the thing with me, you know, people will call that a retainer. I don't, I don't, well, I, no, I, I do think it's a retainer. I don't think it's an advisory retainer. To me, a retainer is just a way to charge for services. Okay. And so I think I think for purposes of this episode, we should be really distinct about the two. So I think of the retainer as you're paying a periodic amount, you know, monthly, quarterly, annually, however you structure it, um, for a, a given set of deliverables. An advisory retainer is not that. An advisory retainer is where you are not executing, you are giving strategic advice. And I and again, I can argue you can have an advisory retainer where it's very reactive, where they call you when they need you, and you can have one that's more proactive, where you've got a meeting every month. Mm-hmm. You set that in stone and you've got an agenda of things that you cover. So there's different ways to do that, but I see those as two very different animals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the the thing about the sort of hands on retainer where you're creating deliverables uh, that need to be refreshed constantly, you know, like another one is like mm-hmm. website, maintenance. Yeah. you know, it's, it's just like it's a job. Uh, it's predictable. Um, the margin on it, it, it's predictable and safe and probably can be a lot longer term than an advisory retainer by nature. Uh, the 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 problem with it is or the the downside of it is that it's low margin compared comparatively so Mm -hmm. it's like a lot of work for maybe not even as much money as an advisory retainer so or maybe the same money but it's a lot more work a lot more work yeah yeah so for me the natural if if you're trying to increase your altitude of involvement with your clients and get more advisory i i can imagine a mm, 
fear is kind of a strong word, but like a, a, a natural insta gut instinct that advisory is going to be less reliable or less long-term than delivery retainers. And you're right, but that's natural. Yeah. So it yeah. shouldn't be a, it, it's like if you're, if you're saying to yourself, oh, but how am I going to, you know, I've been, I've been doing PR for this, you know, I've been doing writing press releases for this company for five years. If I got advisory, it, it, I don't see how it would last that long. You're, you're right. It wouldn't, but mm -hmm. you've got so much time back that you can spend that time deepening your expertise, doing research, doing experiments, and oh, by the way, attracting new advisory retainer clients so that when one naturally churns, you've just got another one to come in. So you've always got, you know, one or two or three going at any given time and having lots of time left over to work on your business and sharpen your saw and attract new clients. So it's, yeah, so it's it's well, not like you should expect, oh, I've been doing these delivery retainers like on infinite, set, set it and forget it type of customers, but you can only have like two at the most because they're so busy and you're like well, working like crazy. Yeah, they can both be whale models. And by whale, I don't mean one whale. I'm talking about three or more whales where, you know, three mm -hmm. to five, where they're all big, but you're working on them for some period. Maybe it's, you know, 18 months, a year to two years, somewhere in there. And and then they, you know, they leave and your next one comes in. And marketing, though, for those is tricky because you, you're going to have a wait list at some point, and the wait list could be a year long. Mm. So it's, you know, it's a different... It's a different way to work. And when you convert to advi fully advisory, I just think there's a lot of fear in that moment. I mean, I've seen it. There's excitement because you're like, yeah, but I can focus on the strategy and that's what I really want to do. Yes, but instead of having, um, well, I actually, I started to say instead of having three to five clients, you might have more. It's not really true because you can probably get more for those advisory retainers, not necessarily from the clients that you did the other retainers with. These may be new clients. Right. But when you start that transition, it feels a little scary, and then it feels like, wait a minute, I'm not doing enough for this money. <laughs> I need, I, I need to be busier. It's, it's yeah. a very that shift is, is a, it's, it's a mindset thing. Right. Yeah. You need to. Yes, that's true. I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if that's. It's certainly, um, certainly something that comes up when people are like, oh wow, um, this is. I mean, I'm in my sweet spot. I'm in my zone. Right. Like I only have to mm -hmm. do or I'm only expected to do the thing that I think I'm actually great at and the stuff that I could delegate or they have other people that could do with a with a good blueprint. Plenty of people can build the house, you know, and I'm, I'm good at blueprints. I can also build. I, I know how to build a house, but that's like saying a brain surgeon could pierce ears at the mall. It's like they could. But is that the best <laughs> use of their time? So, you know, are they delivering the most value in that scenario? So, yeah, I just yeah. I have to I have to throw this out though. You know, we just did an episode on should. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times my clients or myself have heard from somebody else going, "You should do all the work for them because there's no way you can just do advisory work. Nobody pays just for strategy." I'm like, "Oh, yes, they do." <laughs> but there's a lot of there's a lot of judgment in the people around you. So like if you're at the point where you know you're really busy, you're on the gilded hamster wheel, and you want to switch, it might be your spouse saying, "Well, no, you can't do that. You, you can't have fewer clients. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we need the money. We can't make less money." And so there's there's a lot of should 
around this. And I just encourage you to ignore the shoulds that you mm. hear from people who have not done it. Right. Yeah, it's it's a particular kind of client in a particular situation. There are fewer of them, but they're there. Like they're out there. Mm -hmm. If you really know what you're doing and you're you're recognized as an expert for the thing that you do or specifically for the kinds of people that you're trying to attract, they're out there. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so if, I don't know if, if if that's in doubt. It probably is in doubt. I've heard that same same concern in the past. Um, but but to to talk about it's sort of like customer lifetime value, sort of what we're talking about here. So there's another way to think about it, which is a couple of other ways to think about it. One of them you we talked about a little bit before the show is kind of like the dandelion project, where where you get brought in to an organization, but you know, a buyer brings you in and you do good work for them or, you know, whatever, you know, you do a good job, whatever the, whatever the happens with the project happens with the project. And then that team from that company disperses and they go to like five other companies or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever the yep. company closes or merges and they leave. Uh, and, and to me, that's, that wasn't the original question from Ditcherville was not about that. But I think that's something that we should talk about a little bit under the, the clients for life banner, which is the kind of individual personal relationships or business relationships you have with people from clients who in theory are going to bring you in the next time they see a good fit because they already trust you. They already know you do good mm -hmm. work. And I, I wouldn't call that clients for life, but it is sort of, it's in the, it's in the ballpark. You know, well, it's, it's funny because that is how I think about it. And, and just so everybody knows, there is a book by this name, Clients for Life Without the Question Mark. Uh, Jagdos Seth, I think, or Sheth and um, Andrew Sobel, the authors. It's been around for like probably 20 years. But the idea of clients for life, the way I internalized it when I first read the book, and I think I was in a big firm then, was it wasn't about the company. It was about the people. And though, and it, it was true to your dandelion principle that I would work with these people. We have a great relationship, a lot of trust, and they might stay there. They might move on, but they would always introduce me to more people, even if they just stayed there. So in my mind, when I found someone who I really resonated with, that was my client for life. And my, my goal was to keep them as a client for life. But that didn't mean I was billing them all the time. Right, I might go a couple of years without working with them. And, you know, when you're in a big firm and, you know, I represented, a, you know, a lot of different skill sets. So I had a very big toolkit. So it's, you know, somebody could say, oh, well, yeah, you were in a big firm, of course, you know, that's logical. But I have clients and have had clients who follow this dictum in, in exactly the same way in that they are very specialized. They are incredibly good at what they do. And they stay in touch with the people for whom they created these amazing transformations. Mm. And they go to different firms and they get hired. And there's a ton of these kinds of people under the radar because they're not the ones splashing it out all on social media. Mm. They're much more quiet about it. You might see them in LinkedIn, but you're not going to see them crowing in Twitter <laughs> about it, right? This It's a, it's a different model. So there, yeah. I think there's the opportunity to do that, and it again, it depends on your business model. Not everybody can make a business of that, um, but some can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I take your point. I think that's valid. But I, the the important distinction is that it's not it's it's sort of discontiguous income. It's more like you're trusting that at some point, if you tend to these relationships, maintain them, keep in touch, stay top of mind, then something good is going to happen. There's a, there's a related 
concept that uh, I really like, which is I'm drawing this like sort of four square matrix. And if you imagine on the horizontal axis, you've got old products and services on the left-hand side and new products and services on the right-hand side. And then on the vertical axis, you've got uh, new clients or old clients down in the bottom left-hand corner and new clients at the top left. And you can sell in each one of those categories. So you can sell old stuff to new people. You can sell new stuff to old people. You could try and sell old stuff to old people, new stuff to new people, whatever. You get the four quadrants. In my experience, and this is I've heard from others as well, the easiest sale is new stuff to old clients. So, because you're, you've already got trust. They already know you're legit. They already know that you deliver results. And it's like, hey, you know, person that I've been keeping in touch with, or hey, client, past client. So like, again, discontiguous and reach back out and say, hey, you know, I know we did this work on that thing. And, you know, I don't know if you, you know, need this sort of follow on thing. Some of my other clients have, have needed this follow on thing. So I put it together. I'd love to have you take a look at it, see if it'd be a good fit for, for you guys. That sale is way easier than, you know, going to someone brand new and being like, hey, you want to buy my coaching program that I've been selling for 10 years? You know, and maybe you've had great track record and great success, but it's a much tougher sale. Well, that's the trench coat with the watches <laughs> inside, <laughs> right? Three cats standing on each other's shoulders. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and a lot of times when you're selling new stuff to old clients, there is no competition. Mm-hmm. There's no um, uh, purchasing involvement, purchasing department involvement. It's mm-hmm. it's having a conversation and and then you know drawing up you know some kind of an agreement letter or a contract depending on how you operate. It's mm-hmm. super simple. And I, the other reason I love that is when you're trying out something new, that's a great place to try it out because you already know the organization, you already know the people, and you know it's you can create the conditions or increase the likelihood of success because you know the conditions you're going into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got ESP <laughs> to the organization. <laughs> you know, I mean, like think of like landing a new client, especially like if you're if you're uh, sort of in corporate land, you know, you're selling to big bureaucratic organizations, big companies. Oh man, jumping through those hoops that first time and like, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, is this even worth it? And, you know, I get, you know, I'll probably be in here for a long time, but, um, you know, that's, I don't know. I don't know if I can deal with it. You know, I've, I've had a couple of people be like, look, if you buy this on my website, it's X. If I have to go through your system, it's 2X. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you've got to fill out all of these forms. You've got to jump through all these hoops. You may have yeah. to get insurance that you don't already have. Right. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, and it's, the, actually, it's, it's what it does to your head in the process of negotiating through. By the time you're done, it's like you almost don't want to look at your client because it's such a pain in the neck yeah, to get like there. it's like a prenup, you know. It's, it's okay. All right. Thanks. Okay. I mean, I, I've done it. I've done it once or twice and it's a lot of money when you when you get through all those hurdles but yeah um, but that that actually reminded me of of a, a different clients for life angle that we didn't touch on yet which is you uh, have i done this i haven't done this but i have i have one student who's a genius at this of of leapfrogging from department to department inside of massive companies oh that's a good, I call it spidering, but yeah, I like that. Leapfrogging and spidering. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. So 
you know, he's a software guy uh, building software stuff, internal systems. And, you know, and, and he comes in, does the design, does all the discovery. So there's like a, a road mapping kind of phase first. And then it's like, all right, let's, you know, let's let's come up with a few different ways we could skin this cat. And they pick one, he does value pricing and he even value prices with some of his contractors. So he's like, hey, I need a module that does this. Can you do it for five grand? Yep. Okay, great. <laughs> so, <laughs> so cool. So then project is over and they're all set and they don't have anything high priority for him. And he's just a master at, at networking into other departments like, oh, well, maybe that, you know, maybe you've got somebody else mm-hmm. who's looking for something like this or um, he, uh, you know, I assume this was different during COVID, but, you know, he would go on site, I think specifically for this reason, or at least he would, when he was on site, he would capitalize on the fact that he was there to meet new people and like, yeah. oh, what you, you know, oh, I'm just helping out, you know, Alice over in HR build a new system. Oh, really? Yeah. So, oh. It is an art form. It is an absolute art form. And so the person that I know who is the best at this just had a habit. And it was always at the end of the project, but she would do it early on as well as part of the information gathering. And she'd say, okay, so how do other departments here use this information? Like, where does this go? And it it was part of the project, but Mm -hmm. she would note that. (laughs) And at some point during the project, she'd say, so what about like Ted in accounting? Like, what about him? Like, maybe I should talk to him. What do you think? And they go, yeah, I'll introduce you to Ted. (laughs) And by the time we were done with the project, she would know like 40 people. Right. Uh It was amazing. And it was all done you know, for the client, it was never, nobody ever saw her as this, you know, conniving person, like a power player. She just genuinely wanted to know people and she was very likable. So yeah, she could, she could sell. You would just look at her and you would buy something (laughs) from her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, I feel like that falls into the banner of the episode in the sense that, you know, I don't know, Pfizer is your client but a company that's that big, it's really like a bunch of little companies. The sale is more like to a department head and not always, but probably in many cases. Uh, and and yeah, and just sort of a lateral move to another department is it's genius. And, and you've already jumped through all of the procurement hoops, right? So like once you've run the gauntlet and you're in there, you might as well get to know other people to perhaps add value to their situation. You know, it's like you you are yeah. amazingly well positioned to do that. Well, and especially if you are serving a particular staff function like HR or systems or um, finance, it's rare, unless you're really far down in the food chain, that whatever you're working on doesn't impact another group. So like if you're in HR and you're working with the compensation people, well, there's the benefits people, there's the OD people, there's the training people, there's the recruiting people. And, you know, depending on what you do, it may have applicability across those. And it's it's just so, it's as natural as breathing um, once you're in there, if you just ask the question. Right. Yeah. Software projects are great for this. Uh, you know, obviously the dear listener might not be a software person, but but software projects are great for this. Where it's like, uh, I've got a number of students who've done internal systems for gigantic brand name, you know, like names you'd recognize. And they've just oozed from department to department to department. (laughs) And then by the time you've oozed to your third department, the first one has some new thing they need. 
like, oh, yeah, this thing's been working great, but now we need like a whole reporting module built on top of it. It's like, all right, we'll be free in uh, a month and we can jump right on that. So, yeah, that's a good move. Well, I feel like we've created three visuals here. So we have leapfrogging, spidering, and oozing. <laughs> so, yeah, pick your poison. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what are what are some other other clients for life? Or what is here's here's a something I I've noticed that I think is a little bit relevant is that um since I did a hard pivot in 2016, I'm trying to think. I've got I've got one client who kind of Oh uh, no, I've got a couple of people from past clients who kind of followed me down the hourly rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So in a couple of in a couple of scenarios, not not that they became new clients though. I, I think in no case did any of them become a new client, but they might have bought my stuff and I'm not even I wouldn't know that. Right. You know? Um but yeah, that's interesting. Where where even through a hard pivot, I was able to to just coincidentally, I suppose, click with it's just, I mean, at this point, it's just friends of mine, kind of, you know, it's just people who knew me. It's like my sister being on my mailing list. Like she's just like into it. And uh, yeah, so the, I suppose the dandelion thing or just the per- the idea of the client as the person and not the company. I yeah. suppose you could survive, even survive a hard pivot, which is bonkers. I, I have people in my group that were, uh, they were consultants at competing consulting firms when I was in big firm consulting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just always kind of got along and respected each other. And I've got some people like that on my list. And they might, you know, they might write to me once or twice a year. It's not like we're close. But yeah, they're there. I've, I've got a lot of consultants from big firms on my list that are from that time. Because what I write about is generally not you know, specific to big firms. It's about mostly solo practices and building authority. But uh, yeah, they're still there. So that's, it's that relationship piece. And that, for me, that's what, I think that's the emotional resonance when somebody says clients for life. It's like, to me, I'm not talking about like a horrible client that you couldn't get rid of fast enough. These are people that, you know, that at at whatever point in your life you resonated, you did really good work for them and they were a great client, right? A great client is one who's also, at least for me, it's always been somebody who's pushing internally. They're a change maker. They -hmm. want things to be different. They're willing to work with their people. You know, they're not tyrants. Mm -hmm. They're not I won't use that word. Um, I'm just going to use a swear word. Um, they are, you know, they care about their people. And, you know, I, I love the idea of staying in touch with them. But there is a subset. I'm not sure how many of these we have in our audience. There is a subset for financial advisors that very much kind of get taught this client for life idea because they'll work with somebody who maybe is the same age they are when they start working together and then they work with them for 30 years or whatever it is and they get introduced to that person's children, maybe even their grandchildren. I mean, it's very much of a, of a, um, you know, of a generational thing. I'm going to take care of all the generations. So there's certainly that. Yeah. Yeah, very very long term thinking. Yeah, that's... and if you look at the if you look at the lifetime value for a client, like if you have somebody who does big projects, so let's say you do half a million dollar projects, well, your lifetime value for a client might be half a million dollars. Yeah, you have one of these kinds of clients, your lifetime value could be in the millions. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, it does. I suppose it does have its um, the, like the industry that you're in, the, your area of expertise is a factor. 
but I also think the nature I'm like trying to trying to like I like to picture this stuff in sort of charts it's like what are the different variables it's kind of like your industry the thing because like wealth management it's kind of like a b2c sale it's not a b2b yeah it is different so um i'm trying to think of any i don't hire you know like i'm trying to think of professionals i hire in a b2c way i don't really have any um not not to speak of but you know, because I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of examples of B to C to see if there's like a, if it's common for B to C to be a much longer term. I mean, I guess I, I guess that's true. I mean, I think it can be, but I'm thinking of like B to C would, well, like if you hire a lawyer for your personal life, or like mm. an estate attorney, or somebody like that, it's maybe closer maybe. to that. Yeah, I mean, like but, I've had my personal trainer for probably seven years. That's that's outlasted any business relationship I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Like paid business relationship or like our landscape or something like a cleaning people. I don't know. It's like I, we don't yeah. really ha- we don't really have that many to choose from. But my um, hair people, I've had some like over the years like for fifteen or twenty years until you know I moved someplace else and had right. just had to switch. But right. yeah, yeah. So yeah, well, so let's focus on B two B. Yeah. So. Yeah, so maybe one factor is just the the nature of the industry that you're in. You know, maybe marketing, PR, software, um, professional. Yeah, what do you call it? Uh, financial services. You know, it might there might be a natural lifespan uh, in that regard. And then there's so that's kind of like your vertical, let's call it, or your discipline. And then I think there's a um, the the type of engagement that you sell. So like the way that your expertise is packaged. So like your your expertise is in uh, PR and you only sell advisory services or you only sell delivery type um, deliverable type stuff or you only do maintenance level stuff then you're gonna have like I think the farther down you get in that that altitude the longer the engagement is likely to be you know obviously yeah co- caveats Assuming. Like you do a good job and blah 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 right so if so if you were in an industry that, like I'll use software since that's the one I know the best. If you're in the software space and you you just like I don't know, great at WordPress, uh, at and and like that's your specialty, that's like your expertise, and you decide strategic decision, you decide to operate at the lowest level, the the maintenance and support level, then that's fine. You can you you just are going to need to have a lot of clients because you're not going to get a high margin on that because it's not high value work in general. So people are just not going to be that interested in, in paying a lot of money for it. Uh, but it's also not a lot of work uh, in th- if you set things up, if you or- organize your whole business around that, you can make it high, you can highly optimize for uptime and you know small changes and so forth. So you can create a whole business around that. And that's fine. And it'll probably be. And then once people, the nice thing about that sort of set it and forget it kind of engagement is that people do forget it. They just like, ah, every time they see the bill on their, on their credit card, they're like, ah, that's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Don't, they don't want to, it's, it's, you have become the status quo and they don't want to change away from the status quo. And that can go on for 10 years longer. Um, but you just, it's a thin, it's a thin margin business. So you got to figure out ways to add value to increase your profits or, or serve loads of customers then at the middle level the build phase for software development you would this is the kind of kind of area where you would build custom wordpress sites for people for some reason off the shelf isn't good enough it's not going to work there's too many customizations or whatever the case may be uh 
and that's very projecty. You know, it's not usually it's not usually retainer unless you you could. There's a couple of ways you could increase customer lifetime value. You do the project, and that takes say six months, let's say, and then you downshift them into support and maintenance, and they, or maybe you become their hosting company or something, and and you handle support and maintenance for that. Or there's a phase two, or some kind of ongoing labor retainer where for X dollars per month, you'll, you know, like the V1 was kind of bare bones and, but, but we got the MVP up and it's making money. So we got over that hump, the project hump. And now we just need, you know, to give you five grand a month to build out new features as fast as you can. So that, that to me, that's not going to last for 10 years. That's going to last for five tops, three probably before they, have everything built like there's a certain Mm -hmm. there's a certain finish line there and then the top level so you're a wordpress expert and somebody wants to migrate their million dollar shopify store off of shopify onto wordpress and they're terrified of 50 things going wrong losing all their seo massive drop in traffic massive drop in conversions um features that Shopify has that they benefit from that they're not even aware of that WordPress doesn't have just a million things. They're terrified, but for some really good reason, they need to get off of Shopify and get onto WordPress. And they, they might hire two experts. Well, first of all, they might hire an expert who is, is just, their whole specialty is going from Shopify to WordPress. Like that's all they do. Shopify to WordPress migrations because Mm -hmm. of this reason that, that affects lots of people or, you know, a subset of people who are on Shopify. It's like, oh, Shopify Plus, like cutting into your profit margin too much, migrate to WordPress, you'll be saving $50,000 a year, which would pay for the project in the first year, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, But yeah, so like in a situation like that, you're not going to be building anything. You're just going to be having put in place, like you're going to uncover, do diagnostic, you're going to look at other things, and then you're going to make a plan and then you probably oversee the plan, but you not do the work and help you know be standing there when they flip the switch make sure if anything blows up you can flip it back um but and that's like you know that's maybe under a year you know and then once that's done they don't need you anymore really they've got the people that did the yeah. work you You're know done right but that's but that highest level so all of the, like all of these are fine like you can operate at any one of these levels you want it's it's like a uh it's the sort of the reason i went way down that rabbit hole is because it's like I wanted to map out like this sort of cross section between verticals and like the different areas of expertise as like your vertical WordPress person and and the different ways you could engage with clients and the relative lifespan, just ballpark lifespan at each different level. They get shorter at the top, but the profits get way higher. Yeah, it you know it it strikes me your example it roughly corresponds to the journey from freelancer to expert to authority, mm-hmm. and freelancer can look a lot like being an employee, you know, yes. and that's that's one of the reasons why it, I think it looks like a longer uh, play yep. because you're doing hands work. Yeah, yeah, I know people that have been freelancing in the same company for thirty years. It's it's a job. You have a job. Yeah, that's Staff a job. Log, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah so yeah so it's but but it's security is higher right you don't have to do marketing every week because you know that you're gonna have work on your desk monday morning 
So it's, yeah, that's. Although you're smart to be doing some marketing every week, but you know, that's, that's another episode. (laughs) Right. So yeah, I just, I just wanted to, I feel like I talked about that too much, but I wanted to kind of instantiate the variables so that you could kind of, so the listener could kind of be like, oh, okay. So like, as I go up, probably I'm going to guess that it's probably true. If we surveyed a bunch of different verticals, that it would be true that the farther up the the farther higher altitude you are the shorter the lifespan of the engagement i'll bet you that's true yeah and if you think about it it makes sense because the the higher value i am the less time you need me for i'm gonna because i'm gonna work fast Mm -hmm. i'm gonna come in i'm gonna work my magic and i'm gonna leave yep and there's another there's another angle to it too or like just just to pile on there you don't need a new strategy every day you maybe need a new strategy once a year at the most. Hopefully you're not changing your strategy more than that, but you need tactics every day. So once the strategy is set, if that's the level you're operating at, at most, at most you might need to you know do some oversight on the tactics, the people who are executing the tactics to make sure they're on the right track. Maybe they need some support or training or something that you could provide, but it's not going to go on forever, you know? Right. So you just, but yeah, so if you're, this goes back to like the the sort of PR example. It's like if you're selling tactical stuff, it's never going to go away. You always need more tactics, uh, but it, it's only going to go away if they change strategy and they don't need the kind of tactics that you provide, tactical activities that you do. So yeah, well, so the st- strategic level, it shouldn't be changing all the time. It wouldn't make sense. It would be bad if it was. Well, and you, you have the opportunity to help more people at that higher level. So yeah. you can work with more people or you can make a bigger impact or both. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's a different level of impact and influence and not influence in the social media sense, but influence in the sense of getting your client to the transformations that they want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have more, you have more downstream effects because you're operating, you're usually going to be operating with, the reason I called it altitude is because you're working usually with a buyer who's farther up in the organization and and the things that you do are almost by definition going to have higher value because they trickle down throughout the entire organization. It's just not a, it, it's exactly it's like a big deal. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like you don't want to make a mistake at the beginning of the automobile assembly line. You, you'd much rather, if you're going to make a mistake, you want it to be the, the last screw that gets screwed in. You don't want it to be like a design flaw way up front. Because now not only do you have to recall all the cars, you got to rebuild the the production line. Like it's so screwed up, right? So if you make mistakes way upstream, it's real bad. Conversely, if you avoid mistakes or do something amazing upstream, then it has all of these downstream effects in the assembly line or whatever, you know, throughout the organization. So you can charge a bizarre amount of money for it, (laughs) seemingly bizarre amount of money for it because it's so important. It's going to have a big impact on the org. Well, you know, just think of an example, working with the CEO, like if you're an executive coach, it's different working with the CEO than it is with a director level of a function. It just is. Your your impact is bigger. Your potential influence is larger. Um, and the uh, price of failure is higher, right? That's why you don't come out of school and go 
coach the CEO, right? You've <laughs> got to have some experiences and some failures under your belt. You know, it's, it, yeah, it's, it, I, that's why I like, I do like the word altitude for that so much, because that's really what we're talking about it, is growing your altitude. And that allows you not only to make more money, um, it, it does bring the fear of, okay, where's the next client coming from? Because it's not as reliable, but it allows you to operate at a much higher level. And by the way, that level is exceedingly lucrative. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So, so just to make it obvious, connect the dots, they, you don't need to, if, you don't need to have back to back clients when you are making a lot more money. Right. Like you, that's another, another thing that freaks people that can freak people out where they're like, they're like, I'm used to being busy all the time. And let's put it like this, not just busy. I'm used to being productive all the time, like directly impacting the client all the time, like 30, 40 hours a week. Mm -hmm. I'm used to high touch point. Yeah. So it's not like that when you're at a higher altitude, we're getting a little off topic here, but, but. I guess it makes sense if you don't have to worry about you probably don't have to worry about discontinuity between clients as much. So like worrying about the the customer lifetime value or the duration of the engagement at the higher levels isn't as doesn't need to be as scary as it might seem from your current altitude because you're going to have way more time to work on your business and attract more clients and the profits that you get from client A who finishes in six months or a year you don't need to, you don't, you could have someone lined up or you could have two at a time and they're sort of staggered, but you don't need to have one ready to come in on January 1st. If the last one finished on December 31st, like you can, you can wait. Bench right? time. Yeah. You can write your book. You can yep. whatever, start a YouTube channel. You can go speak at conferences, whatever. Continue go to, to Europe and stuff. have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to be all work. You can yeah. use that, that extra time for something else. Right. So I, I'm, I brought it up because I can imagine people like I, I thinking, thinking, I, I don't understand how I would be booked solid. How will I find enough clients who operate in this rare air to keep myself booked solid? And it's like, well, you don't have to be booked solid. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about that at the beginning of the episode. There's this mindset thing that happens where it's like, but. I have to be busy. I have to have like 40 hours or 50 or 60 accounted for. No, Mm -hmm. actually you don't. Yeah. When I was, when I was doing advisory retainers, the bulk of my time was listening to tech podcasts. That was the bulk of my time. I was just keeping super cutting edge. I read all the books, anything that came out, any new developments, I'd test them. I'd like, it was so much fun. It was like just doing R and D on something that I loved so that when client a or b or c came to me and said what do you think about this new camera in the iphone 3 i'd be like this is going to be a game changer for your business and, and i'd know why right because i knew the business mm-hmm. really well but i you know it was just like most of the time it felt like i was just wandering around the neighborhood listening to podcasts <laughs> <laughs> well you were <laughs> but that was me preparing to answer right. a really pointed question on the spot which is what yeah. they were paying for and, and that's authority, if you think about it. That's authority. It's, it's you've got your point of view. You know, you know, more than anybody else about your, you know, relatively niche thing. And you've got to stay on top of it. I mean, authority doesn't just lay there. It's, it's organic. You've got to keep <laughs> feeding it. Very organic in this episode. We're oozing, we're feeding, we're spidering. <laughs> Leapfrogging. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yes. All right. Have we hit this? I think, <laughs> I think we hit it from every angle. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.